Before we get too far into this, thanks to Racetech. Racetech.com, Pulp21 is the code to save. Show your bike some love. It'll show you love back. It's that simple. Get some suspension work done. Just get the oil changed. Get new bushings. Get new seals, people. Come on. Do something. Uh, they've got one-piece valves now for YZs and KX250Fs. They've got uh, the work, motor work done that they've done for the Nuclear Blast Yamaha team. Malcolm Stewart won Montreal Supercross on their stuff a few years ago. Of course, the Alessis have always used Racetech going back to whatever they got. Chris Blose, big fan of Racetech. So they got motor work, they got suspension work, and they can simply give you a discount by mentioning Pulp MX, saying Pulp 21 is a code. Whatever it is, Racetech.com will have you dial. Go to their website and go see what your bike needs. And there's a lot of stuff on there. Even just spring it right. If you're heavy or fast, they can dial you in with the folks uh, at Racetech. Um, and Pulp21 will get you a discount, all right? Good. On to the show. A Pulp MX Network production. Welcome to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show, presented by Maxis Tires, Renthal, Motosport.com, and Kuba Links on RacerXOnline.com. <laughs> With your continued support of our sponsors, we have surpassed 1,700 podcasts delivered with over 17 million downloads. Click that Amazon banner on Pulp MX to help us out. Donate via Patreon if it suits you. And as always, enrich your moto lifestyle by working with the sponsors who support us. Moto Podcast, featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews, and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis. Welcome, everybody, to the Fly Racing Racer X Podcast with Dr. Chris Leet from Leet uh, Braces and Leet Gearing and, and Leet.com. As you know, thanks to uh, the people for listening. Really interesting guy, and I'm glad I did it this morning. Um, it was really interesting to talk to him and get his opinions on a couple of things, and he doesn't hold back on some stuff either, as you will hear. So thanks for listening to these podcasts. I really enjoy doing them. I'm glad you people are liking them. Numbers are up. And all in all, it seems pretty good. So thanks to you guys. Fly Racing, flyracing.com. Zach Osborne will be making his the uh, fence of his number one 450 title in Fly Racing gear. You've got Savachi. You got Bogle, Justin Brayton, of course, did Supercross and most of Supercross and Fly Racing. They've got the Formula Helmet that's got the Rion technology. They've got the Light Pant that's all new. A lot of cool things going on with the folks at Fly Racing. And if you haven't checked them out, if you need any kind of gear, if you need uh, patrol stuff, which is their uh, dual sport line, their off-road line of gear, they've got that. They've got the moto gear. They've got watercraft stuff. They've got uh, snowmobile stuff. They've got a lot of things at Fly Racing. So flyracing.com for more information on that. Uh, great mountain bike stuff as well. I use some of it. And uh, so please check that out. Thanks to Renthal as well. The winning brand in manufacturing design for the last half century, Renthal continues to lead the world to the very top level of sport, amassing more titles than all competing brands combined. You know their name. You know their bars. 7 eighths bar, Fat Bar, Fat Bar 36 introduced last year. They got the Twin Wall Bar. Remember when that thing came out, it blew your mind. They got chains. They got grips. Lots of things happening. The Renthal is great name, great quality, as you guys know. Uh, so Renthal.com for more information on that. Max's Tires as well. A-Ray, Jeremy Smith, Jordan Jarvis. Um... Rod Bell, all using Max's tires in the Supercross races, in the motocross races. 
They got great mountain bike tires. Their Minion line of tires is uh, simply phenomenal. So they got a lot of stuff going on with Maxxis tires, and uh, we thank them for coming on board as well. If you've been in the market for a set of high-end tires and haven't thought of the MXSTs, well, think no more. Take a look at your local dealer or motorsport.com and uh, order yourself up some. Also, thanks to Cobalinks, of course, as well, for coming on board. Really appreciate it. All right, on to the show. And now, again, on the Fly Racing Racer X podcast, presented by the folks at uh, Max's Tires and uh, Renthal, Cobalinks, and Motorsport. This is the owner of Liat Gear uh, and the inventor, the origin, the, 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 the king of the neck braces of development. It's Chris Liat. What's up, Chris? How are you, man? Hey, Steve. Good to... Uh... Uh, good to meet you and be on the show. Thanks for the invite. No problem. Thank you. Very, very interesting guy, and I uh, love to get uh, love to talk to people like yourself that started from a piece of paper, right? And uh, and, and built this into into this massive company. So it's uh, it's always interesting for me to uh, to get in behind the uh, the genesis of everything that started with you. So, um, I guess first off, uh, how's South Africa? You're South African, born and born and raised. Uh, how's it going there? How, how do you like living there? Did you did you um, Live in the U.S. for a little while at all? So I'm uh, born and bred a South African um, and uh, actually currently in the United Kingdom. So that's, uh, okay. that's where I'm speaking to you from today. Um, I've traveled extensively, um, obviously spent quite a bit of time uh, in the U.S., mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, I am a South African and it's in my blood and my DNA. So no matter where I travel to, yep. uh, coming back to South Africa feels like home. Uh, we have a fantastic quality of life. Um, it is Africa. <laughs> Things work differently, but the yeah. quality of life is, uh, is just superb. Yeah, it'd be, it was one of the, I'm Canadian, and I've lived in America now for you know 25 years or so. But I'm the same way. When I go home, I you know I appreciate where I'm from. It's my roots. It's 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 home. And uh, even though I love all the things about America, uh, I will always be Canadian. You know what I mean? It's one of those deals. Um, but South Africa, I haven't been to Australia, and I haven't been to South Africa. And that's about the only two countries I would love to go to. I've been pretty much everywhere else that I'd love to go in the world to watch dirt bike races, and, and those two countries are on my list still. Yeah, you must. If you get an opportunity, you must do it. Yeah, uh, it, it is really. I think everybody I know who's who's uh, been to to Africa and South Africa for the first time have been quite surprised um, and uh, and have enjoyed it. Incredible legacy of racers from from Albi to Langston to Rattray. Uh, Swanapol, these type of guys, but definitely it seems like Chris, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, and I don't know how plugged in you are. South African motocross is a bit of a did a bit of a lull right now. Um, it is, um, Steve. You know, I, I must admit to to being a, a motorcycle fanatic, um, but I'm not the man who who uh, follows uh, right. racing very closely, and particularly Supercross. Um, we have plenty of fanatical Supercross fans who, who work within Liat. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, you know, I've obviously a, a lot of the names you've you've mentioned. Uh, I've either treated as a trackside physician, or I know from my time um, in uh, motorsport in South Africa. Um, and yeah, it's I can't really comment on the current landscape. You know, besides saying that it's just a very strange time being COVID, um, yeah. and uh, you know, the, just the lack of travel. So I guess if sure. you're um, if you're a racer and you you've managed to make it into a country where where there's a lot of racing happening, well, good on you. Right, right. Um, I guess it's it's such a and you mentioned the 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 pandemic. It's such a weird thing because you know my industry friends. 
you know, this pandemic's terrible uh, for many reasons. Many lives lost, and uh, it's a terrible thing, and it may, it may have altered the way we act as a, as a society going forward for the rest of our lives. Now, having said all that, you know, the power sports industry is booming. The parts, the accessories, the dirt bikes, we're getting kids on small bikes, we're getting uh, the play bikes, the two-strokes, and then the, therefore they need gear and they need helmets and, and protection and neck braces and all these types of things. It's just booming. I guess you're seeing the same the same boom, right? It, it's the it's the strangest thing to be concerned about our world as a society and restaurants and and Broadway shows and all these things that are struggling so bad in our world, though, Chris. Things maybe couldn't be any better. It's very weird. Yeah, I, I guess I kind of want to touch wood when you say um, <laughs> it couldn't be better. It, it is a <laughs> it is a little bit like the Twilight Zone yeah. uh, at the moment. <laughs> right. um, I mean, I think uh, you know if you if you were previously if you were a chef or a pilot, mm-hmm. um, you know you had good job security. Uh, you know what what can you not get a job as now as a chef or a pilot? Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of outdoor activities, there's definitely been a, a massive uptake. And I think it's for a number of reasons. One is obviously COVID and not being able to go to a gym. People, I think, you know, mm-hmm. wanting to get out of the house and just go and exercise and uh, you know, live their lives. Um, so there's a big, been a big uptake, and and uh, we've certainly seen the same trend in both uh, motorcycle and bicycle in our business. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, what I always wonder about Liet, the company. Now, obviously, we're going to get into the neck brace, and we're going to get into back in the backstory and everything else. In a in a market that you know is 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 really really now more than ever controlled by the big distributors you know parts unlimited tucker rocky western power sports and they all have their big gear lines uh answer and thor and fly and you have fox which is just an iconic brand you're doing well with protection gear you're doing well with the neck braces and you'd jump you know full into the deep end with with, with a full line of gear you have your flex lock boots you have your your goggles you have the helmet uh and of course you have the gear that the moto concepts guys run that's got to be a difficult decision and a difficult play for you to decide to do that what was that like for you and how's it going and and why expand uh, you know against these uh, these giant distributors uh, how's the you know what was the thought behind that well steve i think that's a very interesting question um and both which uh, there are a few the sort of two different elements here mm-hmm. One is the decision uh, to to not be a neck brace only company mm-hmm. uh, was not was not an easy one. Right. I mean, our, our, our technical expertise and knowledge revolved mostly around uh, neck protection, um, and obviously, you know, the the head and neck injuries we'd studied. Um, so it was a difficult move because it was outside of our comfort zone. Sure. Um, yeah. Having said that, uh, you know, I don't believe we could have stayed a neck brace company forever. Uh, there's always competition, and I think in a in a tech business, you either evolve uh, and innovate or you die. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, sure. Yeah. So for, for us, um, it was a difficult decision, and and interestingly enough, um, right in the beginning when we we started going into body armor, for example, um, and we were not really on anybody's radar. Mm-hmm. Life was life was good, and life was interesting, and right, right. sort of gained its its own momentum. Yep. As soon as we started uh, producing products that were in direct competition with other brands, distributors had to make a decision, are oh, they going to yeah. carry Lear or, or a different brand? Um, it became 
uh, a lot more difficult and complicated. Right. Uh, and we've had to navigate our way through the fact when you're a small company and you're only making a single technical product line, um, it's easy. When you're in competition with the big guys, it's more difficult. Yeah, absolutely. And so I, I imagine there was probably, you know, like for all those distributor reasons that you just talked about, um, it had to have been a difficult decision. I think it, it, it was a difficult decision more in terms of timing, not due to, uh, you know, the the primary question being should we or shouldn't we? I, I don't think we had a choice. I think okay. as a neck brace only company, uh, it would have been very difficult uh, with with uh, bigger players in the mm -hmm. market, uh, you know, deciding that their riders would or wouldn't ride with our product, for example. So if a factory racing team said no neck braces, well, then it was no neck braces. Um, so for us to be able to control our own destiny, we had to have a bit of a bit more uh, skin in the game, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. So uh, how's it? Are you happy with the growth and the expansion and all of that? I mean, obviously, pandemic aside, we just talked about how it's going, you know, gangbusters right now. But are you happy with everything else? <laughs> Put it this way: when uh, when we have our our management uh, meetings and, uh, and and look at our financial results. Uh, in the beginning, I had lots of questions mm -hmm. uh, for our, CEO, our group CEO yep. um, and suggestions, comments. Um, now I'm sitting scratching my head saying, what can I really say? You know, it is, uh, <laughs> right. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, sort of, I want to sound intelligent and say, have you thought of this? But the, right. the answer more, more often than not is uh, yes. Right. Good. Good to hear. That, that's awesome. Um, what about taking the company public? What's that like? How does that decision happen, and what is that? And does it take a little bit of control or decisions away from from you? I, I, again, I'm I'm a very layman in this, so so you know, speak as slowly and as you can. But uh, what's that like? Well, I, I must be confessed to being um, as very layman as as you were in the beginning. Um, you know, it's an interesting strategy for us. We had to raise money uh, to start the business particularly with uh, a company that required a lot of technical equipment uh, and to, to start manufacture ourselves, design CNC machines, uh, computer programs, mm -hmm. it all became, it was quite costly. Um, you know, I'd thrown in everything I had, uh, but we needed to raise some more money. And in, in, the, in the US environment, uh, you know, raising capital is something that's been done for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, uh, there's, a, there's a good track record of being able to raise cash on good ideas with a good management team. Um, and, and the system works. Whereas in South Africa, they just simply, uh, particularly when we started, there just wasn't venture capital okay. uh, or seed capital available. So what we did is we did a, a funding round for friends and family. Um, and South Africa, you know, with, we had foreign exchange control rules and, uh, uh, and, and difficulties in terms of our environment. But one of, uh, and obviously fluctuations in our, uh, in our currency, uh, mm -hmm. one of the, the really attractive elements was to, to list a company in the U.S., for our South African investors, because then they had a rand hedge, okay, and they had a, a dollar-based investment and something that would hopefully grow. Obviously, we started in in motocross in the states and uh, and grew in an environment where the business was understood, uh, you know, particularly being California-based, um, and so it was, um, you know, an, an interesting set of dynamics that led to the decision to do uh, a, a listing <laughs> mm -hmm. right in the beginning. Yep. 
Uh, and I've, obviously, we've had to spend a lot of uh, time, energy, and money and resources on maintaining a listing. But uh, there are some distinct advantages, um, not necessarily showing all our competitors what we're doing, uh, but it keeps your company very clean and neat. Uh, and, uh, you know, everything is Sarbanes-Oxley, Securities Exchange compliant. Right. Sure. Um, and uh, so it's a, it's, a, it's a really good, clean business. Um, and um, and, and the, the listing has been, um, uh, you know, partially responsible for that. And of course, now our South African original investors are able to get out at um, at multiples of uh, of what they got in it. So, sure, yeah, that's awesome for them. So, right? yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm painting it as an easy, uh, sounding like an easy uh, transition and decision, but uh, <laughs> it's had its challenges. Should I take Pulpum X uh, public, Chris? Is this something I should do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think let's go offline for that discussion. Um, and also, too, I've, I've been watching too many movies where you could lose control of your company. And, I mean, is that is that is that the downside of it? If, if profits aren't there and, and things aren't going well, I don't I don't know. Is, is, have I watched too many movies? No, I think you know. I think uh, the, the the mandate of of a commercial entity is to make profit for its uh, shareholders. Now, the shareholder may be you yep. uh, in, uh, by yourself, or it may be uh, you know, as far as being a publicly traded company. But uh, you know your responsibility is to make profit, uh, and, uh, and and shareholders should keep you accountable for that. Right. So um, I think the accountability is is actually a good thing. Um, but of course, there's many ways in which you can um, you can be public. Um, you know, we we're on a level on the over the counter market where uh, we still have a small uh, management team. Uh, and and that's important in a growing company like ours mm-hmm. to be able to be flexible and move quickly. Um, but you know, in terms of structure, there are different ways, and this is all public. Uh, you can maintain your control, which I think is actually really important with a small company like this. You know, when yeah. you have when you're steering a big ship, the ship moves uh, very slowly. Mm-hmm. Uh, as with a small dynamic team, uh, you can make uh, you know on the ground decisions quickly. So, because I have uh, diluted. Uh, to have a, a publicly traded company, but maintained um, a fair number of the voting stock, um, I'm still in control of the company, um, and uh, you know, and we can do responsibly what we believe is in right. the best interest of the company and move quickly. And everything's based in the UK. You're all. You're, I mean, you have, you have no. places in California, but or just you? No, no. So, so this is just. Um, this is this is a, a trip that is. Uh, we've just been here for a month. Oh, okay, um, all right. It's a it's a relatively short trip. Now I'm I'm definitely South African based. Yep. Uh, um, and uh, so obviously we've got a we've we've got a presence in California yeah. and we've got uh, a presence throughout the world. We're definitely a South African company, uh, which also has distinct advantages: our management team, finance design also in South Africa and um, you know given the RAND it gives us a competitive advantage um, of course everybody's sitting and working at home so we could actually be anywhere in the yeah world. yeah don't you feel like going forward there's going to be office spaces that are going to be very very vacant for many companies I feel like this is a worldwide shift we're going to see uh, where companies are realizing hey we're just as productive if not more our our our, our employees are happier um, you know, we can do things over Zoom, and, and I feel like this is going to be, you know, we're not going to be all the way we are all the way, but there's going to be a shift, I think. No, I, I, I can't see the, us going 
going back to uh, exactly the same way we operated before. I yeah. think that this pandemic has definitely changed uh, the landscape. Um, as you say, it's interesting to see how efficient people are working uh, from home. Mm-hmm. I think, our, you know, we, we've, we've got a very flat management structure in our business and uh, we look to productivity more than anything else. There's no sort of clock punching and, right. and uh, things like that. So we have really a fantastic team and um, – and then they're so they're also motivated that they're sort of output gener uh, output uh, uh, driven rather than um, yeah. you know, clock watching. So the working from home thing is has been a fairly easy and, and uh, things are efficient. Um, I think the biggest challenge we have fairly young staff, a lot of staff in their sort of thirties, right. late twenties and thirties, mm-hmm. um, who have young children, and uh, trying to set up a home office. With, uh, <laughs> yeah. With somebody wanting daddy or mommy's attention, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. been quite a quite a challenge for uh, the staff. But uh, you know, now that we've been in for over a year, uh, they've kind of figured it out. Yeah, absolutely. Dr. Chris Leet on the uh, Fly Racing Racer X podcast. Uh, also, too, the Leet Re-Raceables. Uh, thanks for supporting us in our little podcast venture. We do. Uh, you guys are title sponsors on the Leet Re-Raceables podcast, and it's going well. So please check that out, of course. And uh, so thanks everybody for listening. Um, Let's get into a, a time machine a little bit, uh, Chris, and go back. So what part of South Africa are you from? And, and kind of talk us through a little bit about uh, becoming a doctor and getting into moto. Um, so I, I live in Cape Town, or actually a little town called Stellenbosch, just outside okay. of Cape Town. Um, so right on the, uh, on the tip, mm-hmm. uh, not geographic, the tip, but uh, we think of it as the tip of Africa. Yep. Um, and I went to school in, in Cape Town, and uh, that's where I've grown up. So um, I, when I finished school, I must admit I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and during that time, there was still a war uh, in Angola, um, just north of, uh, of uh, southwest Africa, Namibia, where we um, had to go and do two years of national service. So, you know, I got called up twice, the second call up, okay. uh, you kind of either go and study first or you go and do your national service. So, you know, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, chance and fate in, involved here. I just happened to be called up to the medics. So I did the, the kind of infantry training and then I did the, what they call the operations medics training uh, afterwards, which means you in support of the infantry. And I end up in various field hospitals as a result. Um, and I absolutely fell in love with medicine. I just thought okay. this was the coolest thing. Yep. Um, and because I was, um, uh, you know, at, at school, really didn't know what I wanted to do, um, I had to go back and then rewrite the final year of, of school to mm-hmm. get the marks required to get into university. And uh, luckily did well enough to get invited to the two big universities in Cape Town and, and chose the University of Cape Town, which is my alma mater. It was on the news recently for a, having a big fire and a number of buildings got damaged. Uh, but uh, had a very enjoyable time uh, in in medicine. Uh, but I've always I've always loved motorcycles. Um, and at a young age, uh, I guess I was 16 at the time. My parents had booked a trip to Disney World in the US. Okay. Um, and uh, my sister, myself, and, and my parents uh, were going to go to Disney World. And I, I used to go to the racetrack and watch short circuit um, track racing and. Absolutely loved it. Uh, entered the mechanics race and thought this was the coolest thing ever. <laughs> um, 
So I said to my parents, you know, how do you feel about me not going to the States and you giving me my plane ticket so I can buy a motorcycle? Well, wow. my dad, who's a philosopher, um, thought about this question for a bit and said, well, I mean, kudos to him. He didn't say no straight mm-hmm, away. Mm-hmm. He, thought, he thought about it for a while and said, i tell you what, there's a spinal hospital. You go and work uh, or volunteer there for a few weeks. And if you still want to ride motorcycles after seeing all those paralyzed people. Wow, okay. Um, yeah. then, then the answer is yes. So, uh, of course, I went and, and spent the time uh, at Conradi Hospital, which was uh, a spinal unit in Cape Town. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't deter me, and um, I ended up uh, racing a 50cc motorcycle on the track at, at the age of 16, and that's kind of where my, my um, motorcycling career started. Um, and I've ridden... You know, I used to ride enduro, not really motocross, but mm-hmm. enduro to keep fit. Uh, um, I now ride a lot of uh, uh, mountain bike, but um, my real passion was was track racing. So I raced uh, the short circuit, and then I raced uh, super sport six hundreds, oh, okay, super super bikes re- uh, briefly, and then I won a regional championship on the Battle of the Twins on a BMW. Um, and yeah, so your parents uh, the whole time are like, "Wow, Chris actually really <laughs> likes motorcycles." <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't see this one coming, right? Right. Yeah, I, I can I can remember high siding myself. Uh, one of the only races my mother ever came to watch, landing on my my head and concussing myself. Yeah. That was oh jeez. <laughs> that was the last time for a while my mother came to watch. Yeah, racing. yeah, really, right? Oh jeez. <laughs> What 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 years are we talking about here? What what era? What 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 years around? Well, I thought I, it was kind of off and on because of medicine. Yep. Um, and uh, and 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 then specialising and and uh, and all the responsibilities and family responsibilities. So I started when I was six, sixteen, and then very much off and on until about seven years ago. Okay. Um, I, I I rode for the last time. Uh, Won a regional championship, took my bike, put it in uh, in in a room at home, and and haven't ridden it since. Oh wow! Well, not okay. that one, in, not that one in particular. Right, right, right. Oh, interesting. So, um, and then you said you were like a physician at motocross races at some point. So, because of my interest um, in in motorcycle racing and medicine, and I guess that's that's the sort of combination that led to uh, my interest in in neck protection. Mm-hmm. Um, I assisted. Uh, I was uh, because of my interest. Obviously, I used to used to see trackside positions when I was racing, um, and uh, a really great great guy, John uh, Bowden, not Bodner. Um, the two, yeah. the two, <laughs> two, two Johns um, as trackside physicians that have uh, entered my life. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, yes, Doctor Bowden said to me, "You know, won't you come and come and help?" And um, mm-hmm. I was at the MXGP in uh, in Sun City, uh, and subsequently um, I did an injury assessment uh, study of all the uh, injury data that was collected. We actually had quite a good uh, data collection system in motorsports South Africa. Okay, and and we looked at all the injuries uh, that were occurring over all the sport motorsporting disciplines, from motocross to uh, to street car racing, um, and and sort of made some assessments about safety and track design. Uh, and implemented some changes that had a significant influence on uh, on injury rates. So, um, you know that that was sort of part part of the journey for me. Yeah, that's interesting. So, late at night, you made yourself a, a cocktail, or were you on the beach looking into the ocean, or were you staring at the moon? When, when did you come up with this 
neck brace idea, which was, you know, I mean, pretty radical for our sport, pretty radical for motorsports when it came out. Like, where did that happen? What ha- who was the uh, or what was the genesis behind that? So for me, um, you know, I was I was at that time riding a bit of enduro mm-hmm. um, and but I was also specializing. So I didn't really have time to race uh, and I was post call. Um, so very tired, but I promised to take my son to watch some some racing. Okay, uh, and I was part of a, quite a large uh, enduro racing community in in the Western Cape, which is the region in which we we live. Um, and I went to this racetrack, and I was actually watching the racing um, at a refuel uh, stop uh, near a parking lot, and um, one of the riders came down a hill. And said uh, somebody who was uh, known to me, uh, Alan Selby, uh, had, had fallen off mm-hmm. and was not looking in great shape. So um, the paramedic asked, he knew I was a doctor, obviously, and he said, would you come up and help me? So um, the paramedic, myself, and my young son, who was four years old at the time, okay. and who'd ridden his first little peewee 50 uh, two weeks before that, okay. um, went up. Uh, to find Alan, and I suspected he'd gone over the handlebars and uh, and fractured his neck, um, and unfortunately he wasn't uh, breathing, no pulse when we found him. Oh. We had all the right equipment. Uh, we spent a long tri- time and went through all the resuscitation protocols uh, a few times to try and save his life, but I suspected he'd passed away from a neck injury, and you know it was hugely sad. He had young children at the time, oh, yeah. and uh, you know we had to tell his wife. Uh, and his young children, and um, and that really was quite an emotional thing for me. It it, mm-hmm. it, it weighed on me very heavily because as a father, I, I was I just put my young son on a motorcycle, and I, I was yep. hoping that he was going to love riding as much as I did. Um, and then I thought to myself, you know, <laughs> I, I actually can't do this. I, I can't watch this happen to my son. So I had to you know, come up with a solution. And I thought the solution would be just to go and find some form of neck protection. And the only thing out there was a foam collar, which we've subsequently shown is uh, in, in certain circumstances can be worse for your neck than, than not wearing anything at all, but mm-hmm. sort of fulcrum effect. Um, and that was the real starting point. So I I started, I actually started with uh, pen and paper and a computer rather than, uh, than my hands. Mm-hmm. And I looked at, you know, how people break the neck, uh, what kind of loading in motorcycle injuries, particularly off-road motorcycle injuries, produces neck fractures, mm-hmm. uh, and what you could potentially do to uh, mitigate against them. Um, and I came up with this alternative load path theory. Um, I then produced some models because obviously having a product, and this is quite topical, having a product that you can prove is safe uh, and actually does have an influence on uh, neck injuries. If it's not usable, well, then there's no good. Right. Um, it, it's either used, adopted by you know a large number of people, or um, or it's not really going to influence um, neck injuries. Um, and uh, and then subsequently, we had to find a way to to actually test it because you know today, if you design a new helmet, you can take your helmet and send it off to ECE or yep. Snell or yeah. DOT and have it tested. But, of course, back then there was no 
way to test or no defined way to test a necro. So that had to be developed. Uh, at I was going to say, time. does this end up with you t- t- trying to tell one of your buddies to go over the handlebars? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I have seen it demonstrated by standing on your head, but I haven't done that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, we, we, we had to do we, – we did two things sort of uh, um, side by side. The one thing was a physical testing using – uh, 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 an ATD dummy, an anthropomorphic test dummy, mm-hmm. you know, your typical hybrid three crash test dummy. Yep. Uh, and then we also used uh, a simulation tool called Life Modeler, which uh, was a, was a mathematical model uh, where you could set up the model within the computer um, and uh, test what you were seeing physically, and then maybe alter the loading dynamics. So. You know, it was better for repeatability and maybe was, uh, enabled you to test in ways you couldn't do with a physical model. Um, and it was kind of at that point in time where I got a phone call from somebody at BMW in Germany who said we'd, he'd heard we were working on the neck brace, mm-hmm. uh, a chap by the name of Andreas Geisinger. And would I like to come and bring uh, a few of the samples with uh, and they would test it in their lab? Uh, of course, there was a fantastic offer. Yes. So uh, I went to Munich and uh, and we did the testing. And that, uh, unbeknownst to me, had a few people who had submitted ideas. Um, and because we'd done so much uh, computer modeling, I could almost predict, you know, with with a large degree of certainty, what the results were. Okay. And they were kind enough to share all the results with me. Um, and you know, the only one that really produced. Uh, any benef- real beneficial uh, result was was uh, our device, um, and that led to a collaboration between BMW and KTM, because at the time in the Dakar uh, they were losing at least one rider and often two per year, uh, and I'm talking about the professional riders yeah. uh, in the Dakar right. um, from broken necks, and uh, after we introduced the the neck brace into the Dakar. Uh, there wasn't a single neck injury for a long time. Uh, and then the only neck injuries that occurred were the people who weren't wearing a neck brace. So 90% of the field right. was braced. And when a rider who was unbraced fell off uh, and broke their neck. Um, so it really, um, although the, the, the population, the study population there is quite small, mm-hmm. um, you know, anecdotally, we'd, we'd had a huge impact on, uh, on neck injuries in the Dakar. Uh, and that often break their necks in an interesting way. Um, they they'd hit camel grass at high speed, which is like hitting a rock, um, and actually go over the handlebars. But because they have um, the, the the moving map um, and uh, on their screen, mm-hmm. uh, that they actually head impact the the map book. The map, okay. Uh, and, and that would that is what broke their necks. Huh. Um, so th- yeah, that's a. Uh, part of uh, a very long involved development history interesting um so when um obviously for for people who don't know in our sport supercross and motocross which are the majority of my listeners um ernesto fonseca goes down and paralyzes himself factory honda rider and the former great supercross motocross great david bailey who's also in a chair from a crash in, in early 87 uh he makes a video with your brace you know, telling riders, hey, look, don't end up like me and Ernie, you know, wear this brace. And we'll get into the effects of that in a second. But how long had you been in business selling braces before David Bailey makes that video? Uh, not long enough. 
<laughs> um, so okay, he, yep. He really caught us by surprise. Um, I, I just traveled to the U.S. to find uh, a, a distribution mm-hmm. channel for for the product. Uh, you know, we we had fairly low volume products. Yep. Um, interestingly, what we'd done is we'd, <laughs> as a new company. My word, you've got to wear a lot of hats. You know, yeah, you've yeah, got to be yeah. the chief scientist, the chief bookkeeper, the chief uh, logis- sure. logistics person, the per- chief everybody. And so uh, when we started the business, we were trying to manufacture the product in South Africa. And we, we, we managed to get reasonable quality and reasonable volume out of South Africa. But we very soon discovered um, that uh, this was a 2014 uh, era that, that – uh, we weren't going to cut this, uh, uh, you know, trying to develop a company and a new concept and test it and do all the things we need to do as well as learn how to manufacture. Mm-hmm. And so we actually shut down our operation just as orders were climbing and oh. we moved the whole, uh, the whole operation to China. And, uh, you know, I think many people have um, a perception of China, but I must say the quality and the reliability has just been absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if, if there's anything wrong with the product, and we have incredibly strict uh, quality protocols, yep. uh, it gets it gets chopped up and destroyed right there and then. Right. Um, and so our quality has been absolutely phenomenal. So we just made this transition mm-hmm. uh, to China and uh, had low volume production going. Um, and then, of course, it was Chinese New Year uh, in um, in China. Yep. At the same at the same time, David Bailey went on air. Uh, and called out a number of top riders and said, you know, you should be wearing this product. Um, I think it, when, when we just set up the office in, in uh, California, we installed, and I can't remember, five, eight phone phone lines. Okay. Um, and uh, when the technician plugged them in and they all started ringing at the same time, um, you know, that, that was uh, – yeah. There, there was telling. There was either something wrong with the system, or there was <laughs> a lot of people phoning us. Um, but um, how does how does David get one? How, how, do you ever know how that happened? I don't. Yeah, I don't. And, okay. and you know, if, funny enough, David and, uh, and I have spoken a number of times subsequently. Uh-huh. I was very um, cautious about making contact and uh, and entering debate with him sure. because I didn't want people to. To, to think that I tried to influence him in some way. You know, this is that was really off his own bat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the last thing I wanted to be known as is somebody who's, you know, sort of paid somebody to, yeah. to be an influencer. But, you know, they came straight. I mean, he, he really caught us by surprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, no stock, um, lots of demand. Um, it was an interesting time. Yeah, it just zooms up for you right there. That, that Literally, that video just put the brace yeah. into everybody's uh, minds and, and – and I can imagine what that was like for you. Jeez. Hey, Raisin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really, right? Uh, uh, so going from that, the you know, now, you know, like you said, you're, you're, you're not totally plugged into motocross, supercross, but going from that and then taking a closer look at our sport, talking to the then uh, asterisk doctors and the riders in the sport, that had to have been where you're like, well, this is – this is where my this is where you know the most dangerous this is where they crash the most i guess right i mean the the car guys like you said it's a small sample um size of guys who actually do that rally but in supercross motocross that's really where people crash and you had to have been like okay this is where i'm going to where i can help the most people 
So, so my theory, um, right in the beginning, I must say, you know, as mentioned before, I came, came personally, you know, my experience had been enduro. Mm-hmm. Um, motocross in South Africa was the next sort of tangible thing. Supercross was intangible for me, uh, being a South African back in those days. Right. Um, so obviously, you know, subsequently I've spoken to Doc Bodner a lot. Um, my, my theory was this, that if you could produce something that was demonstrably protective, that you could, you could demonstrate uh, without a shadow of a doubt that A, it was effective, and B, it wasn't going to have any um, undue sequelae. So, you know, the, the whole debate, which I'm sure we're going to touch on about uh, thoracic spines and, and collarbones and, and all the other things. Um, so the theory was, can you produce uh, a brace that... Uh, prevents injury without causing other damage. Um, and then if that uh, can be done, can you make it ergonomic enough for people to actually use mm-hmm, it? Mm-hmm. And if so, uh, then it would be adopted. And the people who are going to adopt it are the people who crash the most often. Uh, and obviously, Supercross uh, is, is right up there. Um, and that's also where you're going to see the best, uh, the, the the biggest benefit uh, and, and, you know, see that uh, you're, you're actually making a difference. Um, it's keeping people out of out of wheelchairs or or, uh, or, or you know from dying, and it's it's a terrible thing to talk about, but it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a reality in the sport, um, and uh, and I think certainly in Supercross, you know, it's it's got a it's got a fairly high uh, accident rate. Um, and uh, interestingly enough, if you if you look at correlations in Supercross or motocross or for exact for example, even you know downhill cycling. Uh, if you look at the professional league versus the non-professional, um, actually the professional league have relatively fewer injuries. Mm. Um, yeah. And whether on the day they're concentrating a lot, uh, there are a lot of theories behind why yep. uh, you may actually have a higher uh, injury rate in practice than in the race. But um, yeah, yeah interesting. So yeah. The, that is interesting. Yeah. yeah. So that yeah. So you know. Does this design, can this design actually make a difference to Supercross? Thanks for listening to the Fly Racing Racer X podcast with uh, Chris Liet. Really appreciate you guys listening. Thanks to Maxis and thanks to Renthal for coming on board. And also, thank you to Motorsport, whether you ride on the trail, race on the street, uh, got a UTV, whatever it is, motorsport.com will have you covered. They've got aftermarket parts, they've got uh, OEM parts. All sorts of names and brands, including uh, Cobalinks Links and Maxis and Renthal, among others. So thanks to Motorsport.com. Free shipping over anything over $79, so you can save with those guys. And also, um, great return policy. I had to return some stuff and uh, couldn't have worked out any better or easier from those guys. Motorsport.com. Go through the banner on Pulpomex or Pulpomexshow.com to help us out a little bit. Please and thank you. That would be much appreciated. And, uh, yeah, take your business to Motorsport.com if you haven't already and uh, experience the difference. Thanks to those guys. And also Cobalinks, 15% off any link and free U.S. shipping by using the code PulpMX, Cobalinks.com. What is Cobalinks? Well, they've been in business for almost 25 years. They're based in Boise, Idaho. They make lowering suspension links for everything from Aprilia to Yamaha, used by trail riders, motocross racers, and adventure tours. Like the first link, each one is still seed in Idaho for riders of all ages, heights, and abilities. Increase your plushness, improve your cornering, gain confidence by having a lower center of gravity. Cobalinks.com, K-O-U-B-A links.com. All right, and again, thanks to Fly Racing for making this podcast happen. Back to Dr. Liat. So you're off and running at that point, and business is doing well, and people are adopting the neck braces. What version are you on right now, would you say? Uh, currently? Yeah. 
But how many re- well, yeah, how many versions you know, have we had? You, I mean, obviously, you're we, always taking a look at things and trying to make them better. Yeah, I mean, you know, from from the original mm-hmm. uh, adventure brace right back in the beginning, yep, uh, to to you know to the six point five. Now, I, I I can't even tell you how many iterations there's, there's <laughs> yeah. the commercial, they're the commercial uh, models. Yep. And then there's all the iterations in between. I mean, you must be literally hundreds of iterations. Yeah, yeah, um, really, right? Fun, funnily enough, they all perform exactly, or pretty much exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. So one of the things we do at Leet is if we, lo- if we launch a new model, it's going to pass our own in-house testing. And our own in-house testing revolves mainly around the, the original design and how it worked because it was uh, proven to be effective. Um can the, the, the new products, which are obviously lighter, more adjustable, uh, uh, different ergonomics, yep. do they actually do the same uh, function as, as the earlier braces? Um, must be really heartwarming for you to develop this, uh, take it from an idea from your, your, your guy that passed away there, and, and then see, I mean, we'll get it, we'll talk about this next, but you know, you, the letters from from other physicians, the letters from families, the the, the X rays that uh, have shown, you know, like this must be a pretty heartwarming thing at times for you. I mean, now you're probably immune to it, but you've seen it so many times. But at first, must have been pretty cool to to really see that your device is making a difference. Um, you know, Steve, I still get goosebumps. Do you? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, and it probably means I'm still doing the right thing with my life. It's. <laughs> It, uh, it still gives me goosebumps um, to this day. Uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been a, a, a real journey. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of, often the letters that we receive, um, you know, you, you, we, ha- we have something called an injury database at Leeds. So if somebody has a significant injury or, uh, or an accident, with, so an accident without an injury or a significant injury uh, with an accident, either where they were wearing the brace or not wearing the brace, um, we try and collect as much data as possible. <clears throat> and what we do is we take that data and we try and reconstruct the accident, not necessarily in a full accident reconstruction, mm-hmm. but we take a damaged brace, for example, Yeah, yeah. Um, and we we, uh, we, we take a sampler brace of exactly the same model and size and we try and uh, impart the same kind of load to the brace that causes the damage. So if a damage, if brace is damaged in an atypical way, uh, we, we try and load the brace to understand what kind of force went through it. And some of these accidents, you know that there's definitely been an injury prevented yep. uh, because the loading was so significant Um and, and essentially, we'll talk about it just now, but the, the brace is an alternative load path. It takes a load that would have gone through your neck and it yep. puts it somewhere else. And if it puts it somewhere else and does a significant amount of damage to that something else, well, then you've, you, you know, the chance of, you, of an injury having occurred without it is, is large. Yeah. But a lot of these letters are you know, quite emotional. And they, they say, you know, I had a big off. I felt my helmet touched the brace and you know, I'm just thankful for you to having uh, developed it. But you know, as a scientist, um, I want to look at the, you know, the, the the figures and the data, and I want to uh, feel secure that in a significant loading, we are able to reduce statistically significant number of injuries. Um, so a lot of what I re- what I read in the letters we get is quite emotional, and as I say, it still uh, raises the hairs on my arm. Um, but being a scientist, I want to really understand each one of those action dynamics, um, and some of them. You know, would probably not have led to a neck injury, uh, whereas other would have. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's, it's exactly. It's kind of, you know, the, you never quite know for sure, but like you said. So, you know, we've seen um, more. I see, I've definitely seen more pros take the neck braces off in the last few years, uh, including Marvin Muscan, who said, you know, you guys are working on a new one for his new helmet. Uh, he's a big believer in neck braces and, uh, and took it off. Um, we've seen more pros take it off. And I, and I get this question as a media guy, and my comeback to that is like, well, they also don't wear chest protectors. So I'm not quite sure you should look at the Supercross guys on the line and determine that they are the barometer for, for, for your safety or not, right? Like, like, I can't believe that some of these guys just go out there with no under protector at all for ribs and lungs and, you know, heart and uh, protection and all that. Um, anyways, so we've definitely seen some guys take it off. We've seen ex-pros really viciously attack a neck brace. Um, how do you respond to that kind of stuff? What, what, what's your take on that uh, for your company and for braces in general? Okay, so now, so now we're getting into the meat of the discussion. Yeah, yeah, for um, sure. People want to know, right? <laughs> so, I mean, you're absolutely right. You know, look at, look at freestyle guys. Um, you know, they, they would go in, in, um, in, in a short pant and a, and a T-shirt if they could and yeah. do. Yeah. Um, so, in fact, you know, in the, in the original paper I wrote as a motivator to investors in, in terms of um, in terms of uh, bringing this business into fruition, um, and I, I said, you know, you often have to tell riders what's good for them because they won't do it on their own, and that sounds like a, a very opinionated uh, and hierarchical thing to say. But you know, if you climb into your car. Do you really feel like putting your seatbelt on? If you're driving from, uh, you know, around the corner, do you mm-hmm. really feel like, feel like putting your seatbelt on? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're starting your bike up in the pits uh, and you're riding, uh, you know, from, from your pits to the start line, do you really feel like putting your, your helmet on? Um, no, of course you don't. Right. I mean, why would you? It's, it's, it's not natural to put something on your body. Uh, you know, you're adding weight, you're adding extra gear, you, you know, you're putting goggles on, you're decreasing your peripheral vision potentially. You know, why would yep. you put it on? Well, you put it on because it's going to make you race for longer uh, and it's good for you. Um, so, you know, same for seatbelts. So um, I, th- I think there are, there, there are a few elements to this discussion, really. The one is, you know, can you wear a neck brace and win? Um, and then the second one is, does it actually protect you? Um, and thirdly, all the critics that are that are making commentary on on uh, on the neck brace, you know, let's unpack those those comments and where they come from, um, and uh, and what effect it has on the industry and, and on riders, both on their riding as well as uh, their safety. So. Um, if you if you can bear with me um, a little bit, yeah. uh, I'm gonna I'm just gonna um, sort of give you my opinion on this quite topical question: mm-hmm. um, what, why are people taking braces off? Um, so first of all, uh, if you if you look at the history of neck braces, and I'm uh, you know I'm not just categorizing Leeds. There there are other manufacturers out there that produce neck braces. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, we track uh, the riders who perform well or who are sponsored by Liet, Marvin being one of them, for example. We've won 15 AMA Supercross titles, 11 AMA motocross titles, and eight world motocross titles. So it's quite difficult to to argue that you can't ride in a neck brace mm-hmm. and win. Right. Uh, because 
the facts speak for themselves. Uh, the answer is yes, you can. Um, will you feel a neck brace uh, when you're riding? For sure. Just the same way you feel a seatbelt when you climb into a car mm -hmm. uh, or put a helmet on. Uh, if you didn't feel it, it wouldn't do much good for you. Um, so I think the, the question is, can you ride with a neck brace on? The answer is a categorical yes, because the facts speak for themselves. I mean, that's, uh, that's a lot of world titles yeah. Uh, yeah. wearing a neck brace. So I think the second part uh, uh, to the question really is, um, if you wear a neck brace, what does it do to you? I mean, you're putting, you're putting extra weight on yourself. Um, you, you're now riding with something that you weren't riding with before, uh, which no doubt, like everybody else, you have to adapt to. Um, and just another interesting study in terms of your own physiology while whilst riding with, uh, with a neck brace. There was a, a study, and I'm just going to refer to a, a very few studies uh, because I believe that, you know, when, if you make a comment, um, it's best to back it up in fact. Mm -hmm. Um, there's an Asia-Pacific uh, con Congress on Sport Technology in 2013 where two gentlemen, Garasa and Patron, or sorry, a lady, uh, uh, did a study called On-Track Measurements of Neck Movements and Muscular Activity During Motocross Sessions with and Without a Neck Brace. So what they looked at is the range of movement of the head on the neck uh, during motocross, as well as they put uh, – they did – uh, myelography. In other words, they took uh, sensors and looked at the muscle activation in the neck whilst riding. Mm -hmm. So this gives you an idea of your range of movement while riding with and without a neck brace and how much muscle activation there is with and without a neck brace. And the reason for the study is, does it change your peripheral vision or your vision while you're riding? This is the sort of design rationale. And the second one was, are you going to get fatigued because you have now have something else to contend with around your body. Mm -hmm. And interestingly enough, uh, what it showed was, and I'm just going to read an excerpt from the, uh, the studies, the fact that the neck brace did not reduce rotational range of motion is a positive result because the pilot's field of view is not modified, uh, which is a safety requirement. According to the evidence of fatigue effect, the brace is useful not only to protect the pilot during accidents, but also supporting uh, device during riding sessions. So there's a lot, there's a technical study, and uh, we'll we'll put it up, and I'll discuss uh, just now where you can get access yeah. to all this information, uh, which I think is important. Um, but actually, you are less likely to suffer from neck fatigue, and therefore overall fatigue, wearing a neck brace versus not wearing a neck brace. Obviously, wearing a neck brace in the extremes of movement, you're going to feel it. Because if you're not feeling it, uh, it's, it's yeah. potentially not going to be useful. Um, so we've, we've looked at all the titles that have been won with the neck brace. And we've looked at, the, in fact, overall, you, you're less likely to be fatigued wearing a neck brace than no neck brace, uh, which is maybe surprising to yeah. a few people. Yep. Um, the second question is, does wearing a neck brace actually protect you from injury? So this is a massive subject. I'll just try and summarize it into a very short uh, – well, for me, short. That doesn't necessarily mean short. But. <laughs> no, that's fine. Hey, we got time. Whatever, whatever, whatever you want. I'm interested in this because it's you know it's got to be frustrating for you as a doctor and a scientist uh, who looks at data to to see some of the perceptions out there. Um, 
yeah, uh, let's just stick with that word frustrating. Yes, it does become, <laughs> it does become frustrating. So, um, you know, we've published a white paper, and I, I don't know of many other companies who, uh, who launch a safety product and who will put all their science and evidence and test results out for public scrutiny. But that was what my belief right in the beginning is that people need to make an informed decision. And I think that is where part of the problem lies, the, the informed decision part, uh, uh, for two reasons. One is, and I mean, my word, you know, when you're 18 and racing a motorcycle, are you going to re- read scientific journals? Not in the yeah, yeah, no, no. Uh, you know, but I think people who are, uh, who, who, who are looked at as, as figures to guide uh, what riders do, whether it's a molligation agency, whether it's a trainer, whether it's fellow riders, I think when you when you start offering an opinion about neck braces, it really should be an informed opinion. So, the, the whole rationale for putting the the white paper uh, out into the open there is so that people can make an informed decision and look at all our test results. Um, so, I'm not going to go into all the test results. Suffice to say that the neck brace reduces neck loading. So. I'm going to give you one example. You fall off a motorcycle, you go over the handlebars, and you land on your head. Mm-hmm. What happens? Well, it's actually the weight of your torso. It's, it's your whole body that's loading your, your neck because you, you're now inverted, upside down, hitting the ground. And, for example, you know, why do you see more injuries in Supercross than you do in MotoGP? I mean, MotoGP, the guys are doing 350 kilometers an hour. Well, the answer lies in that if you're falling off a bike at very high speed on a reasonably non-abrasive surface, you're just going to slide out of the way. Mm-hmm. If you fall off a supercross bike into loamy soil, um, your head will impact the soil and it will stop. It doesn't slide anymore. And therefore, the loading on the neck occurs over a much longer period of time. And there are a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of scientific research done on the amount of load your neck can withstand over a period of time. There's something called the Wayne State Tolerance Curve, which I'm not going to expand on now. But essentially, you can withstand a very high load for a very short period of time. But a lower load over a much prolonged period of time uh, can be more problematic. So let's use this example again. You go over the handlebars and land on your head. Your head stops, it doesn't slide out of the way, and it's the whole weight and momentum of your torso that's loading your neck. Mm -hmm. Now, without a neck brace on, uh, your neck is going to initially absorb that actual load, that sort of uh, direct loading uh, down uh, in in a vertical line, um, what we call actual loading, and then it's either going to flex or extend. You're either going to, your chin's going to go to your chest or the back of your helmet's going to go backwards. So you're going to have this flexion or extension uh, movement dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are a lot of forces at play here. There's axial load. There's something called uh, bending moments, which is essentially torque, the force that acts over distance. There's shear. Um, so there are a number of forces going on at the same time. Now, without a, a neck brace on, all the load is transferred from the ground to your helmet, to your skull, to your skull base, to your neck, and to the rest of your torso. So it's all going through by your neck. There's nowhere else for it to go. Yep. With a neck, with wearing a neck brace, the dynamic has changed. So the the loading now goes from the ground to the helmet. The helmet touches the neck brace at a point, 
And some of the load, not all the load, but some of the load goes from the helmet directly onto the brace and then onto your body in a safe way, which we can talk about. Spreads it out. And, yeah. Yeah. and so if you remove 20% of the force from uh, the scenario, uh, but that 20% of the force is low enough to bring you under what we call the injury thresholds. So all these forces I've mentioned have a threshold at which they're going to produce an injury. So, for example, axial loading, it's about 4,500 Newton, uh, uh, newtons of force, which is about 450 kilograms. Um, so if I can reduce 900 kilograms worth of force, I'm not going to have the injury. Um, it, I see it often like a high jump. You know, If you mm -hmm. put that bar high enough, you're not going to get over the, over the bar. And so that's what the brace is doing. It's, it's offering a high jump where the chance of getting over that bar if you keep on putting it up becomes smaller. Mm -hmm. And so what the neck brace does is it lifts the bar for you. Um, and we call it an alternative load path technology because that's what it's doing. It's taking load that yeah. would have gone through your neck and it's putting it somewhere else. And it's putting it somewhere else safely. So, for example, um, just, to, just to touch on two things. One is how does the brace behave in the body? It's designed and we did a lot of research, uh, and, you know, a huge amount of research into how the brace collapses on the chest, for example. So how much force does it take to break your sternum mm -hmm. or to do, give you a cardiac injury um, and the brace will collapse before then so the great brace will hold up and transfer energy into the brace to a point and then the brace will fail but what has happened during that time is that energy which is which is uh, the damaging thing in the scenario the energy has been removed the same with the thoracic strut so let's use that example again. Over the handlebars land in your head, your head goes into flexion. Mm -hmm. The strut actually comes away from your back because you're loading the front of the brace. So in this instance, the, the strut is inconsequential. And by the way, the only reason the strut is there is to hold this platform in the right place all the time. It's keep like it centered. Your, yeah, keep it centered, kind of. Yeah. yeah. It, it's like you know wearing a, having a, a self-aligning head restraint on your car. Um, right. That you know, if your head goes backwards, it always catches your head because it's there. Yep. Um, and that's the design rationale for the brace is that you've got a platform that's always in the right place at the right time. So that flexion example, we took 900 kilograms of load out, an injury didn't happen that would otherwise have happened. The the, uh, the front of the brace may have collapsed, uh, depending on the loading dynamics, and the thoracic member came off the spine because you're loading the front of the brace. And it, therefore, it was inconsequential in the equation. So let's look at the opposite now. So the head goes backwards and strikes the back platform. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and now the thoracic member approximates the back. And it's always been designed to put pressure on the paraspinal muscles. In other words, you've got bands of muscles that run uh, along your spine, okay. uh, connected to all the spinous processes. And... Um, it holds the brace in place, allows that extension loading until a point in time where the thoracic member will fail. And if I have to, I, I, I would have to go and look at the data, but to quantify how many broken thoracic members we've seen, which means the loading was significant. Right. You're, you're, like, you're, you're like, yeah, great. It's breaking. Right. Yeah. It, it breaking. Breaking is a really good thing. Mm -hmm. But it breaks at about a tenth of the force required to do damage to the spine. So the safety margin is so huge. Yeah. And every time this has been challenged, 
you know, it, it's it's been a no-brainer because the the safety margin is so huge, it will fail way before it'll do any damage to your back. Now, people say, well, the thoracic member, you know, ends around T7 on, on me, and that's where I had a back injury. Well, guess what? T7 is the most common place to break your spine. Not only your thoracic, your cervical spine, but your spine in motorcycle riding. T7 is the most single, most common uh, uh, region to break your spine. So people are having spinal fractures at around T7 and associating it with the brace. The brace has got nothing to do with it. Whether you're wearing a brace or not, T7 is still the most common yeah. place for a thoracic spine injury. And it's because in the thoracic spine, it's like a stick that's curved. You've got a kyphosolordosis, as we called it. Mm -hmm. You've got this curved spine. Mm -hmm. Having a bent stick, and you keep on applying pressures to the it's, end. It's, yeah, there's a spot. It's right. going right. to snap in the in the middle. Right. Uh, right. And that's that's exactly what happens to the spine. So, just one other thing to touch on in terms of this example, where your head goes backwards and impacts uh, the the brace. Um, there's some very interesting. Um, uh, evidence now, and I'm actually busy with a, a, a doctoral study on it, mm -hmm. uh, is that we believe that the neck brace is also going to reduce brain injuries. Um, your head hits the ground and decelerates very suddenly. Right. You get, then get this head, head whip, and uh, I just want to make mention of the James Marshall accident, but you get this, this head whip where the head moves backwards very fast. So it decelerates accelerates again and there's already brain recoil as it accelerates again and then stops against something it either stops against your back mm -hmm. or whether you're wearing a neck brace it stops much earlier on the on the top of the neck brace and because that head whip is shorter the acceleration is much less the secondary deceleration is less um, and without getting into all the technical uh, detail in terms of uh, uh, loading dynamics over time, um, it by wearing a crash helmet, it's already changing the, the the dynamics on the brain. The the impact is much less, but occurs over a longer period of time. And so we believe there's good evidence uh, that will show in time that the neck brace actually reduces brain injuries as well. Um, so you know, then we looked at um, other studies. So so the Lear paper. Just white paper I just talked about is our research. Uh, we certainly went out and collaborated with BMW and right. other academic institutions to do the testing and to develop models to help us do the testing. Um, but then there's a, there was a study done uh, in, in Sweden called the Unistra study, and they used something called a FEM model. So once again, without getting too technical, it's a finite element analysis model of the brain, uh, the head, and with an imported neck brace. So what is what does that all that mean? You know, when we test in a lab, we set up a test and we can we can swing something ten times or we can drop something ten times. And because of environmental factors and because it's a physical test and we're testing something that may be slightly misaligned or the temperature may be different on the day, mm -hmm. the drop height may be a millimeter out, you know, the, the, the test results will always be within a range, an acceptable range, hopefully. And that's the scientists, what, one of the things we look at is, you know, are, are we testing within an acceptable range? Um, the way around that is to create a, a, a model, a computer model or simulation 
that is very close to uh, what actually happens in, in the real world. So in this study, they have what they call a finite element analysis head model, and that has been validated. In other words, they've looked at their results mm-hmm. against the kind of physical testing we've done, cadaver drop tests, where they actually take human heads and drop them, and all sorts of other studies that led to the development of this validated model. So we know that when we, with a high degree of certainty, that when we look at a certain dynamic with or without a safety device, that the, that the results we're getting are pretty accurate. Um, and, and if they, and they, they all fall within a, you know, an acceptable range statistically. Uh, so when we say with confidence a neck brace in the same model had this effect on neck injuries, um, we're fairly confident about it. So physical testing uh, that LET has conducted, this FEM model, which is basically worldwide collaboration on building a head model mm-hmm. um, using this finite element analysis, which is essentially little blocks put together given different conditions as they join together. And then when you stress them, uh, they, you're stressing the, the, the way those two blocks are behaving against one another inside a, a, a computer model. Um, and it allows you to actually model something as significant as the brain, the meninges, the spinal fluid, the bridging veins, the it's that it's that it's that good. Is, yeah, it is. It is that precise and accurate. Um, and, and you know, once again, these studies are peer reviewed. So, <laughs> if you think uh, Supercross is competitive, you should see the academic environment. Yeah, uh, really. You, right. know, you, <laughs> you stick your neck out and say, um, you know, this is what my study. Uh, showed, mm-hmm. uh, you're going to have a lot of people saying, well, it was flawed for the following hundred reasons. Right. You know, uh, the academics are ruthless and it's, um, it's, it's, it's both unpleasant but, uh, and very humbling, um, but is, is what makes science science. You yeah, know, it's it, needed, it's, right. It's, yeah. it's, it's needed because it keeps you, you know, honest and, and, and on track. So, you know, there have been studies like this, Unisa study, you know, independent study, we didn't do it, somebody else did it, mm-hmm. and it showed that next braces are beneficial. Um, and then, of course, there are the real world. So, you know, um, some people will say, well, you know, that's all fine, that's lab testing, but what about the real world? So, um, if you look at the EMS Action Sports Study, which is uh, something that uh, has is, is been the most significant. Is that the one, is that the one in Minnesota? Did. Is that the one in Minnesota or Illinois um, or something? Yeah, um, yeah, you've actually caught me. Okay, I, I, well, um, I, re- I, well, I was going to bring up, I have in my notes here, I, I spoke to a gentleman who was an EMT and did a study on, on braces for a year or so. And uh, I think, I mean, he was he has very positive uh, crash reports, and I think it was the same I, guy. I think, yes, uh, Ryan. Um, yeah, I think. yeah, yes. yeah. I read that one. Yep, I read that. So, so that is really interesting uh, because that's real world. So, yeah. you know, whatever we as scientists say, you know, this is what we we uh, predict is going to happen. Um, well, it's you know, then there's the real world. So, um, so if you look at that EMS action sports study, um, and I'm just going to. Simplify the numbers. These aren't accurate. You know, when I say ten years, it may have been uh, nine years and nine months. Um, but essentially, it was around ten years, ten thousand riders, mm-hmm. half with a neck brace and half without. Uh, and that was over in a few states, uh, looking at uh, at events where Ryan was a, a paramedic and yep. he collected data. 
and the data was collected into um, a natural uh, 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 database tool uh, and then flagged for the motocross injuries and outcomes. Um, and it produced really interesting numbers. And what was interesting to me is that um, I, I knew the brace was beneficial in terms of preventing neck injuries and, and more than likely uh, going to be uh, beneficial in terms of preventing death. Um, and I'd always thought that our uh, neck brace design, uh, where it shielded the collarbone, uh, would probably have an effect on collarbones. And by the way, our, our dummy that we test with in the lab also has a collarbone and mm -hmm. ribs. Um, and, and then they showed the numbers. And, you know, this is a large study. This is not a small study. This is a statistically significantly large enough study uh, to draw conclusions from. Mm -hmm. um, and just a quick synopsis of the numbers are the critical cervical spine injury is 89% more likely without a neck brace. So critical being yep. a fracture or, a, or paralysis. Non-critical cervical spine injury is 75% more likely without a brace. And death is 69% more likely to occur due to a cervical spine injury without a neck brace. Uh, collarbone injuries are 45% more likely to occur uh, without a neck brace. So, Interesting, you know, yeah. Uh, we know people can ride with it because of all those championships won. Produces less fatigue. Mm -hmm. Our science is studying uh, this topic for a long time has said it's good for you. But here in the world, real world, the numbers are actually better than we, we thought they would be. Um, why are collarbone injuries 45% less likely to occur? Well, you can break your collarbone in one of three ways. Fall on an outstretched hand. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, your collarbone is like a tripod. It's actually an incredibly good design structure because if you broke your shoulder, your recovery time would be a lot longer than if you broke your collarbone. So, Oh, see, I was, um, I was thinking the other way. I was thinking, why does the collarbone break all the time? But you're saying it, it actually is a design to prevent the shoulder from, from going. It's a, a it's a very elegant design. It's yeah. like, you know, it's a, it's a crumple zone. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, crumple zone. It's <laughs> somewhat irritating for for motorcyclists and uh, yeah. cross riders. But, yes. but it's um, it's better to break your 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 collarbone than uh, break something else. Yes, um, yes, very so, easy. So the force yeah. actually goes yeah. up your arm, mm -hmm. uh, and 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 through your shoulder and fractures your your collarbone. So in that instance, if I fell off the motorcycle and I put my right hand out and fell on my right hand. I'd expect to have a right collarbone injury. Um, same with falling directly on your shoulder. Uh, if I fall directly on the shoulder, and once again, the crumples on your collarbone fractures, if I fall on my right-hand side, I'm expecting to have a right-hand collarbone injury. And then we heard all these stories about people who fall off and break the collarbones, wearing the neck brace, and, you know, gosh, I'm so irritated <clears throat> that I broke my collarbone, but I guess at least it saved my neck. Well, actually, if uh, if... If uh, the collarbone was to break uh, as a result of the neck brace, it would be on the other side. Because if you fall on your right, your head is going left. Right. Yeah, your head's moving right. Yeah, left. Yeah. Yep. So you would expect to see the collarbone fracture on the left, not the right. So often you put pay to that uh, very quickly. You say, well, which side did you fall on? Which side did you break your collarbone? Mm -hmm. And it's often the same side. Well, then the brace had nothing to do with it. If I ever... Uh, the helmet rim without a neck brace was to strike your collarbone, as in that example, you fall on your right-hand side, 
your helmet is pushed to the left and the helmet rim strikes, strikes your collarbone, um, it's normally a downgoing fracture as opposed to an upgoing fracture on yeah. the other side. Um, and that's why we see 45% reduction in collarbones, which I must say we thought, we, we, we didn't think that uh, helmet rim strikes to the collarbone were producing that many collarbone injuries. Right. Uh, but that's actually what's happening. Is the mm. collarbone injuries are happening. Like, now, let, let's forget about preventing a catastrophic neck injury, uh, you know, life or career limiting yeah. injury. If you break your collarbone, it's not so good for your season. Right. Because you're either going to miss a race or two races mm -hmm. or, you know, have it plated and have extended uh, rehabilitation or a non-fusion and, you know, it can be a disaster. Fortunately, right. it, not, it often isn't. But, you know, one reason to wear a neck brace, and I'm not saying just ours, any neck brace, mm -hmm. is, you know, is to prevent injuries. And, and that gives the athlete who wants to win – I mean, winning a race is great, but winning a championship is better. So mm -hmm. if you can prevent yourself going out from a collarbone injuries and you've got 45% uh, more likely to break a collarbone without a neck brace, well, that's a, that's a, a good reason to wear a neck brace, uh, uh, you know, amongst mm -hmm. the, the, the uh, not, not uh, sustaining a neck injury. Um, but just to put, put those numbers in perspective, so let me just read them out again. 89% more likely to end up with a critical cervical spine injury without a neck brace, 75% more likely of a non-critical cervical spine injury, 69% more likely to die uh, if from a cervical spine injury, and 45% more likely uh, to break a collarbone without a neck brace. So to put that into perspective, you know, we used the analogy earlier of putting a seatbelt on or a helmet on, or those things that you do kind of every day. So what does that do to your your risk of death? I mean, is it is it the same? Is it similar? Is it much better than a neck brace? Is it, what, what is it? So, you know, there, there are lots and lots of studies mm -hmm. um, that have have looked at uh, pre and post introduction of seatbelts and pre and post the introduction of uh, of of uh, airbags in vehicles, like there are in, in terms of helmet laws. So, if you uh, look at a um, an article that, that uh, where, where the, the question was, do seatbelts and airbags reduce mortality uh, and injury severity in car accidents by Cummings et al. in 2011? This was published in the American Journal of Orthopedics. They looked at 1, uh, 184,992 patients uh, between 1988 and 2004 who were uh, involved in significant uh, automobile collisions. And they compared the no-device group the no device being no seatbelt right. or no airbag, um, there was a 67% reduction in mortality when a seatbelt and an airbag were used. So nothing and airbag and seatbelt, you were 67% less likely to die. That is less than what a neck brace does. Yeah. And that's significant. Yeah, yeah, and I don't think that's so, a big surprise. Right, yeah. So the seatbelt group... Um, had a 51% reduction in mortality, and airbag only had a 32% reduction in mm -hmm. mortality. Together, 67. So what we're saying is, can you ride with a neck brace? Yes, you can. Is it good for you? I mean, does it actually do uh, what it says it, it's going to do? Well, it's not going to prevent every injury, but it's going to have a yeah. significant 
impact on your, your safety. So then I think the third part of your question, which I'm making probably very long-winded. But no, it's great. None, nonetheless, I'm on a roll, so I won't stop. <laughs> um, what about the critics? Now, I'm going to just take a deep breath and, and uh Well, you know, you know, I was going to say, though, <laughs> I don't feel like, and maybe I'm not seeing it in the right spots or maybe I'm not paying enough attention. I feel like yourselves, and, and, and I'm, I'm buddies with the Atlas Brace guys as well, um, I feel like you guys stay above that, above the fray of what I see online, and, and, and I think that's a that's a that's a good strategy. It's a fine strategy. Uh, I do feel like you guys are a little bit like, uh, yeah, we're just not going to go into that. You know what I mean? Which you can debate that strategy all you want, but I do feel like you guys stay above that. Well, thanks, Steve. I mean, I think I think you you mentioned a, a couple of really. In- uh, important um, points there. The, the the first one is you know getting involved um, in, in essentially what is a race to the bottom uh, <laughs> when it comes to to um, to comments. You know there comes a point where you can't uh, you, you can't have a logical argument against something. Somebody says something, they believe it, and nothing is going to change their mind. Mm-hmm. Science or anything else is not going to change their mind. There's no point in getting involved. And as soon as you enter into the fray and have a discussion, I mean, it's a never-ending, uh, right. that's a never-ending discussion. It'll just go on and on. And when you know, you wake up in the morning, you know, the fifty comments are now one hundred and fifty comments, and, uh, and and there's a whole lot of other dynamics that hadn't occurred to anybody else before, but they're all in the mix as well. Mm-hmm. So I, I think um, you know, we, we've tried that strategy before. Where we've tried to go on uh, onto forums and, and, uh, and answer questions as just a non-starter. I mean, yeah, you, yeah. you just can't do it. So, so, uh, you know, I think, um, I think that's a, that's a non-starter, but you know, people have opinions, um, and it's not my character to criticize other people's opinions, um, I, or the status quo. Um, in fact, if I wasn't critical of the status quo, I, the brace wouldn't have existed. So, yeah, you know, I, yeah, I, if, if somebody had to ask me what I am in essence, I guess I'm an innovator. I, I like to look at a situation um, and make my own conclusions. And if they're different to other people's, uh, is to you know to do the research and and, and pre- prove whether or not uh, that solution is a valid one. So um, you know, I think there's a there's sort of two types of messages that are going out there, and unfortunately. Uh, the one is sometimes louder than the other. So, um, you know, at times and, and on different forums, uh, the one voice is a lot louder and it kind of drowns out everything else. Um, and uh, what I'm talking about is, is fact-based science versus emotional and speculative opinion. Um, so I'm going to um, mention one individual or maybe two um, and, I, and I, I, I do this with trepidation. I don't really like to, uh, to criticize, as I mentioned, other people's opinion. However, I think when you make fact-based comments or that you believe are fact-based, but they're actually pseudoscience, they're not real science, um, and people listen to you and that has an effect on their safety and their well-being, then you need to be challenged. Um, and I think... We all know what's what's happening. There, there are a handful of trainers in the U.S. 
that are being very vocal about uh, about how people ride and the way they should be riding yes. and how detrimental a neck brace is for their riding uh, and why uh, they shouldn't be wearing a neck brace. Now, we know, given all the championships that I've mentioned before, mm-hmm. um, you know, let's just summarize, 15 AMA Supercross titles, 11 AMA motocross titles, 8 world motocross titles, and those are lit brace-wearing uh, uh, championships. That's not Atlas or Alpine Stars or yeah. anybody else. Yep. So the list is more significant. You can win championships with a neck brace on. Um, is it an adaption? For sure. But can you do it? Absolutely. So, you know, I have a problem with Ryan Hughes. You, you may. Yeah. Well, I didn't mention him by name, but yeah, absolutely. Well, honestly, I mean, I he's lately gone at me on social media also because he was talking about how Marvin hasn't, he can't do anything with his braces on. And I'm like, but he's won so many races with neck brace on and Ryan Villapoto wore a neck brace, a wrist brace, knee braces, and was one of the greatest riders of all time. And and I just, exactly. I kind of, exactly. I just, I can't, I like Rhino. I feel like he's just losing it a little bit and, and you know, you'll, you'll choose your words more carefully, but I'm just like, come on, dude, stop it. You know, but anyways, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I'm going to, I'm going to sort of offer my opinion on yes. uh, Mr. Hughes, um, slowly and carefully, because you know he does have a big following. Um, I don't want to disrespect him. I mean, he was a great rider, uh, and we all look up to great riders. But because he was a great rider, I believe that he has a responsibility to other people. And some of the comments that he's making, I believe, and it's quite easy to actually back up what I'm saying, is he's going to affect other people's lives to the detriment. Why? Because we know that neck braces, we've just been through, you know, real world examples and lab studies and independent studies, neck braces have a significant impact on death, neurosurgical procedures, morbidity, what we call pain and suffering. They have a significant impact. Forget about, you know, winning a career, I mean, winning a a title in, in the year. If you break your collarbone or break your neck, you're out. So you won, you know, you won a race or two, yeah. and you don't win a championship because you can't finish the race. So part of your strategy, I mean, it's, it's like putting a tire on a motorcycle that's got no tread. You know, it, it may be lighter, but it's not going to be good at the end of the race. You're going to, you know, you're not going to win. Yeah. You've got no traction. So I, I'm, I'm really concerned that that particularly young, vulnerable people, and when I say vulnerable, I mean vulnerable because they're young and they're listening to a great rider say, don't wear a neck brace that he's actually uh, going to be um, the cause of ruined lives and probably death. And I think people need to actually call, you know, not be afraid to call him out. And, and I, I haven't done this for a long time uh, because, you know, I, I, I believe uh, that you, you must have an opinion, but it really needs to be an informed opinion. So let's just, let's just look at some of the things that he said and, and why it's so difficult to sit on the sidelines and, and allow a spokesperson to shout so loudly and influence the industry. Right. Um, you know, he's, um, I don't know if you know this. I've actually had quite a lot of interaction, personal interaction with Ryan. Oh, I didn't know um, that. Okay. Yeah. I've invited him to the lab at my cost okay. numerous times. 
Um, we've chatted uh, on a number of different occasions, and I've said to him, what I would like to do is, is, is offer you the chance to come to the lab, see what we do. I'll pay for the trip. I want you to understand uh, what it is we do, and if you are still not convinced, then you know, feel free to to uh, to go forth with yeah, your opinion right. and, uh, and and mention what you believe to the rest of the world. But don't do it in a vacuum. Don't do it without uh, having informed yourself. So I think the chance that Ryan has read the white paper, the UNISTRA study, the EMS study, or anything else, is probably quite small, because I have I have offered him the opportunity of uh, you know, an all-expenses-paid trip to come and understand uh, uh, the, the lab environment and what we do, uh, and then you know, he, can, uh, he can actually go out and, mm -hmm. and do a training camp uh, and earn some money and, and have a trip. So I, th I thought you know, we were yeah. sort of more, more than generous in terms of, uh, of interacting with him, and, uh, and so that's, uh, that's the history. I, I, um, uh, I, I, say, I, I talked to him two weeks ago, and I said, look, Rhino, you can have the opinion that a neck brace doesn't help somebody. I said, you can have that opinion, but you can't run around saying that it hurts people and you can't win with one when the data doesn't say that. You can still have your opinion. It's a free country. And I don't wear a neck brace when I ride. I probably should. I don't. Um, you can have that opinion. However, you can't run around saying it's going to hurt you because that is not correct and that is harmful. Uh, actually, and that's kind of where yeah. I'm at. Like that's where I think where you're, you have a responsibility, again as a public figure and as this writer to to you can have your opinion for sure, but you just can't run around uh, actually you know harming a protective device. In my opinion, so no, well not without uh, due yeah. consideration and being informed. Right, right. yeah, uh, yeah, you know, absolutely. If you look at the data and you say you know these guys have manufactured data or they've misrepresented things, yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. And and that's why when he says, um, you know, um, he, he he mentioned in the Gypsy Tales podcast on the twentieth of April of this year uh, that he, you know, he, he challenges any scientist. Um, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, well, exactly. now you know that that actually that's not true because I've offered him the opportunity of uh, of engaging and interacting and seeing, and he just hasn't taken up the opportunity, and you know, it's yep. been made over a number of years, and it still hasn't happened. You know, the other thing to consider is the, the, the these these really vocal critics like Ryan and and others um, looked at the original two thousand and seven neck brace design, yeah, sort of visually and said we're opposed to use it because it's big, it's bulky, and uh, you know it's um, it's primitive. This you know, yeah. and it was you know in yeah. the beginning. Yep, I agree. Uh, it, it was primitive, but you know, if you look at anything uh, that uh, any new technology, it fulfilled its function, and that was to prevent injury. Um, but it wasn't uh, the sexiest thing on the planet. No, and, no, it was not. <laughs> um, <laughs> and if you look at, um, you know, look at the original iPod. Right. I mean, same thing. Yeah, you, yeah. No. Would you try? Would you use an original iPod now? I mean, it doesn't connect to Wi-Fi. Uh, <laughs> get, get a cable to, and then the cable went. Uh, met with your laptop and how do you get your phones from your song onto your iPod and but they were the coolest thing in the beginning yeah yeah you know, but they've yeah. evolved yep, yep. You know, so look at a Apple's new offerings they, they are streets ahead of the original iPod it, it you know it's a continuum it was the beginning of so 
to look at a 2007 brace and say, well, neck braces don't work, um, you know, that's not fair. Yeah, I, and, I agree. Uh, I, I don't, I don't, I, I like Ryan again. I've had a good relationship with him, but he's on now, he's on the knee braces lately. And, and I just, I kind of like, hey, man, you need to be a bit more responsible with your takes. You can have your opinions, but you need to be a bit more responsible. But I, I, I think that ship has sailed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, this is this is the problem I had with. So, just to go back to this Gypsy Tale podcast in, in in April of this year, I mean, he says, you know, I've I've watched it a few times, and I've sat there and I've written down what he's what mm-hmm. he said because I, I take this, you know, take what he says seriously, and I, you know, if he's if if he's if he's saying something that I should be thinking about or addressing, I, I want to do that. Um, but he says um, he claims that he applies logical thinking. But to me, what he's doing is the opposite. He makes statements without being able to back them up. And that's that's called pseudoscience. Uh, it sounds like science, but it isn't really science. Right. You know, he, he challenges brace companies and scientists. This is what he says. But pres- and presumably he's referring to me uh, that he challenges all of us to a debate. Well, we now know that actually that's not true because he won't enter into the debate with me. I have really tried. Right. Um, his answer to injury prevention is not to crash. I mean, that is essentially <laughs> the synopsis of his argument. I don't feel really. I didn't listen, but I feel like that's that's an insane. <laughs> no, you should you should you should really listen oh, to it. Like, okay. It, it, it's you know his solution to to preventing injuries is just not to crash. Yeah, which I mean, yeah. it's, it's fantastic. If you don't crash, you don't get injured. Rhino, so what Rhino crashed quite a bit when he was pro. I was around as a mechanic uh, yes. when Rhino was so pro. So I'll get to that yeah. because yeah. He, he he told me that he broken twenty seven bones in his career. So, and that's without any protection, no knee braces, no neck brace. Uh, and by his own numbers, and I'm going to quote Ryan again. He says, um, "The chance of crashing are a hundred to one." with no brace, and 10 to 1 with a brace. So does that mean if he'd worn a neck brace and knee braces, he would have had 270 broken bones in his career? <laughs> yes. You'll see what I'm saying. Yes, you, yes, you, yes. I mean, you can't right. always take somebody literally. Yeah, but, um, yes. But, but come on, Ryan. I mean, really. Uh, uh, yeah. I'd love to host it on my, on the Pulp Mech show. You can call in and, and Rhino can call in. Um, but I, I, I'm with you. I just uh, – it's irresponsible to me to, to do what he's doing. It really is. And, and you can have your opinion. I'm cool with that because I certainly have a lot of opinions myself on racing. But uh, you've got to keep some facts and open-minded. But, but, Chris, also, you know, it's 2021 and we got – vaccines people running around and the covid thing has has caused a massive you know debate on both sides and and, uh the president that just left here in the usa didn't seem to you know really believe science and data and facts and that's where we're at in 2021 it's uh it's incredible where if you put yourself up on a facebook you can be an expert quote unquote even though you have no real education on anything you know uh, absolutely. I mean, I think it, it's just, I mean, it's, it's staggering, actually. Yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, to, to try and get your head around the fact that non-fact um, sometimes uh, is more important than fact. Yeah. And we're not talking about, you know, what color to paint something. We're talking no, no. about, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know, <laughs> does, does this, in fact, prevent you from dying? Uh, when the you know when the bulk of data says to you, well, yes, it does. Um, mm-hmm. Perhaps that's now, the pertinent argument. You know, I don't want to get into 
yeah, there's, there was a, you know, just last week an ex-professional rider got injured. There's a, you know, in the last few years, I mean, there are lists of injured, uh, uh, injured riders, you know, um, who, you know, we're looking at, we're looking at the numbers and the EMS study and, and, and it's data on a spreadsheet and, um, you know, you're less likely to be, to be injured. You know, the, the, the other side of that story is all the guys who have been injured. And, I mean, it's not like they're one or two. There have been a number of people who have been injured. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, from, from Jane Stewart and Ryan Dungey to, to the injuries that have occurred, uh, you know, just, just last week. Yeah. Um, it's, um, it's very sad. And, and uh, not all of these injuries are preventable. But of the course vast not. majority yeah. are. Um, in in uh, and, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, uh, and uh, in your in your uh, testing in your data, you know, has there ever been an experience or an, an angle a rider could crash at, or a speed a rider could crash at, or anything that could that the neck brace would cause death? No. Right. Okay. Categ- so cat- categorically no. Right. Right. So you know, one of the things that is also out there is. Uh, my buddy Chad Reed said that the doctor told him that Andrew McFarlane, his friend in Australia, uh, died because of a neck brace, and Chad took it off. And I was like trying to ask Chad about that a little bit, and it was an emotional time. It was a few months after he'd passed away, and I just I'm like, how? Like, did it sh- did it break, and a, and a piece of plastic went into his neck? Like, I, I couldn't understand that. And, and certainly, that's something that's floating out there also. But you've seen no reason in any data and any testing that that could happen. No. Right. And if and if we did, we we'd uh, we'd have to either issue a big safety warning or, or pull right. the neck brace. Yeah, absolutely. And, you yeah. know the one the one thing that has kept us honest in the business um, is that any product that we develop, we will put on our children, and that's a that's a sobering fact. You know, uh, I'm going to put this piece of safety equipment on because I believe it's going to it's going to mitigate injury. But what about that really unusual accident that produces an unusual type of loading dynamic? Could that kill my child? You know, it's 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 a very sobering mm-hmm. uh, thought is that we're putting these safety products on our children. And if there's a product I won't put on my child, who I love to bits, um, it's not going on the market. Yeah. What yeah. is that? No, it's got to be frustrating for you to, to – to, and like I said, I feel like you guys stay above it. I feel like the Atlas guys – Stay above it, you know. Um, it, it, here's 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 the product we sell. Here's some data. Here's some testing. Um, you know, judge for yourself. But you guys could almost be a little more aggressive. But then again, like you said, it's a race to the bottom. So maybe not. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe that's a bad idea. Actually, now that I think about it. Uh, Fly Racing Racer X Podcast with Dr. Chris Leet, uh, presented by the folks at Max's Tires, Rentalt uh, Bars and Sprockets and Chains, uh, Coba Links, and Motorsport.com. Um, well, that's really, really good stuff, Chris, for you. I, I can tell you're passionate. I can tell you believe in the product, and, and you know you have stuff behind you to back up what you said. Um, and, and yeah, uh, you know, obviously it's uh, it's been a successful company, and, and seems like it'll continue on that way. Couple, couple more things for you. If you got, you got time. You good? I'm good. Okay. I'm good. What's a product that you guys have developed outside of neck braces that you've seen a lot of growth in? That you that you're very proud of? That um, you've gotten really good reviews from? So on and so forth. Is there a product that stands out outside of the neck braces that has been very successful for you? 
Well, I think most, uh, you know, we've had um, just in the last 12, 6 to 12 months, um, our helmets are really starting to do well for mm-hmm. us. I think the standout product recently for us have been our boots. Uh, I mean, we're yeah. just absolutely amazed. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's difficult to uh, maintain supply. It's really been an extremely good product for us. Um, and the reviews uh, are incredible. And, you know, um, it's, it's, it, I know how it works. I mean, you know, without going into all the, mm-hmm. the, the testing. And unfortunately, it's actually this timing is quite bad for us because we've just migrated our website onto a new platform. Uh-huh. And uh, the Liet Lab, which is uh, – I welcome everybody to go and visit the Liet Lab. Probably the next week to two weeks, all the, all the studies I've been talking about will be available again. Um, unfortunately, it's just at a time where uh, we're migrating various elements of the old site onto the new, and they're not available. Um, so, you know, the, the Liet Lab page uh, will show everything you need to know about all our products, you okay. know, from helmets, uh, turbines, to our, our, our boot technology, to our C-frame single-sided hinge technology, allow you to grip the bike and still ride. Obviously, neck braces. Um, Currently, under Science of Thrill, there is a, a Q&A thing on neck braces. Um, but, uh, you know, what is what – is, uh, so, so that's a really good place to go to for information. Um, all of the, the products, you know, I've talked about recently are helmets, which have our sort of turbine technology in them, uh, which is an innovation. Our boots, uh, which there's also a white paper on. We, um, we talk about uh, the one-way Velcro and how comfortable the boot is. But actually, you are way less likely to break your ankle or your leg wearing one of our boots. We tested them with landmine uh, test devices. Uh, we've loaded uh, dummy legs with our boot on versus all the other boots in the market, and it, it really does incredibly well. All that science and technology will be on the website. Um, so helmets, helmets recently, uh, the, the launch of the boots really uh, was absolutely fantastic. But I'll tell you, the product category that we kind of started uh, soon after uh, our move away from just being a neck brace mm-hmm. only company into body armor, <laughs> you know, the, there's the there's the um, the, the, ne- the neck brace survey or the protection survey. I can't remember which magazine does it now. Uh, is it Vital MX or uh, I can't recall now? Mm-hmm. Uh, where they look at um, uh, you know customer feedback, what. Pro- Product you wear, what are you more likely to buy, uh, when are you likely to buy, etc. To kind of get an understanding of what people are wearing and, and uh, where protection is, uh, how well various companies are doing in the marketplace. When we lo- launched our body protectors, uh, you know, uh, now roost guards, but chest protectors, yep. back protectors and things, uh, we were nowhere, you know, for the first year or two. When I say nowhere, I mean, I think there were 17 companies and we were number 18 or something. <laughs> Um, and within the space of a few years, we were number two. Oh, wow. And, yeah. and uh, you know, we, we get really good customer reviews and feedback on, uh, on how comfortable uh, uh, our body armor is. And that is a product category uh, by its own. Just really amazed me is how well we did. You know, we took kind of quite a different stance. We looked at uh, new materials and then we introduced – European standards into the kind of American marketplace as a descriptor. So we used these product, these materials called non-Newtonian materials so mm-hmm. or shear thickening. The harder you hit them, the harder they become. So they're adaptive, which makes them really efficient. You see, 
One of the problems with protective apparel is they work like, for example, helmets. They work very well at a certain crash velocity. Yeah. But they don't work well very low or they'll fail high. Now, we know, for example, in helmets, concussions occur uh, at the lower end of what's being tested in helmets. So one of the reasons for the turbine in the Leith helmet is uh, anti-rotation, but also low impact damping. If you bang your head uh, you know, you, uh, often, um, you want to have low impact uh, protection because there's repetitive bangs that everybody sustains over their career. I mean, how many times have you banged your head? Yeah. Probably a lot. Um, so that's where we're looking at, um, you know, lots of studies. And I don't want to go off on a tangent again, but if you look at uh, what's happened in American football um, and, and this chronic uh, traumatic encephalopathy, the CTE that's, that's uh, now been shown to be a result of multiple concussions. <clears throat> yeah. So our helmets introduced that kind of technology. Um, in our body armor, we, we have this new new sort of, uh, technology in terms of using these uh, shear thickening materials. And then what Europe is quite good at is having very defined standards that are not, um, they're not just sort of environmental standards or mm -hmm. abrasion resistance, uh, but they also look at how good the product is at actually, uh, actually absorbing energy and mitigating uh, the risk of injury. Uh, um, and so we took those standards being like ECE level one, two, and three, uh, and we we use them in our body armor, and we then try to explain that to the American market, uh, is that you can actually select out how much protection you want just by looking at the CE classification. Um, and yeah, you know, I, it really. I, I like it. Yeah, I like I like the fact that you know, as a as a as a you know, the fly guys use a Rion technology in their helmets. You guys have the turbine technology. Helmets can't be, in my opinion, and this is a layman, but helmets can't be styrofoam in a shell anymore. We're smarter than no, that. Can't. You know, we're smarter than that, I feel like. And, and you know, everyone's racing to do something good, but it's, it's a competitive market, and there's good reasons to be doing it, and it's working. You know, I, I think that that's really awesome. Helmets have gotten a lot better. Um, they, really, they really have. And, you know, um, there's, a, there's a new proposed standard by the FIM in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, that is extremely difficult to meet. Yeah. It really is a yeah. very, very tough standard, and I think a lot of manufacturers are going to battle. Yeah, I think, I think um, we, uh, I think we're over the Snell drop test now, right? We're, yes, we're, we're yeah, far yeah. beyond that, I, I believe. Yes, so, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's really, really, really good to see that you know there's people like yourselves and others that are like looking at stuff again and, and, and with a fresh look and trying to be like, how do we, you know. How do we prevent injuries? How do we do this? We're smarter now as a society. So that's really good. Um, well, thanks for the time, Chris. Did, I, did we cover everything? Um, if we haven't, Steve, we can always, um, yeah. we can always uh, loop back and do this again. We uh, can. I no, thoroughly absolutely. enjoyed uh, the chat. I, I, I like your interviewing style. I, I like your questions. You've obviously, um, you know, you, you're well informed and you ask all the right questions. So I've, I've enjoyed this process, and um, yeah, there's an opportunity to come back. I'd love to. Yeah, absolutely. Let's let's try to do that. Let's do the Rhino, uh, Doctor Chris Leet uh, uh, debate. <laughs> yeah, uh, can, can, can we sit on different continents? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but again, like uh, you know, I, I admire you that you. I didn't know that that you'd actually talk to him and you'd actually offer to fly him over. I did not know that, and that's that's really interesting to know because uh, you'd think he'd want to take you up on it, you know. But uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> 
Well, uh, yeah, thanks again for the support for the Lee at Re-Raceables podcast that we do, myself and Jason Wygant. Really appreciate the Lee at stepping up for that. Um, and this is the Fly Racing Racer X podcast uh, with Dr. Chris Lee at. Thanks for the time, man. Good luck with everything. And, yeah, let's, let's touch base again and do this again down the road. Thanks, Chris. Excellent. Have a great weekend, Steve. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show. Don't forget to check out some of our past shows, including motocross legends such as The Bad Boy, Rick Johnson. I looked down and my hand was junk. I mean, yeah. it was sitting over to the side. The tendons were jerking in weird places. And my biggest disappointment with Danny Storbeck because that he never said sorry. Because Danny and I were friends, and we've never talked since. Brian Lunas. Before the 500 event, Dave and I fly to Germany, go down to Stuttgart. There's this little shop out the back of the mall factory. We get our cylinders, take them back, and, you know, off we go. And, you know, we ran Nicosil Cylinders as a factory part for a handful of years before anybody ever saw it in production. Dave Arnold. And, and Magoo was all, you know how he did the big pancake thing? Right. And, right. and he's got the thing, he's completely laying on the gas tank trying to miss his tree. I mean, he would have gone even harder, jumped farther if that tree hadn't have been, you know, yeah. if, it, if it hadn't have been there. The Hurricane, Bob Hanna. I love the guy. I don't dislike. I think he's the greatest competitor this sport ever had. That absolutely 100% in my mind. I firmly believe that statement I said about these modern-day guys in Switzerland or Poland or Belgium on 45 minutes on the same bike. You're not beating Roger. Are you crazy? Right. They're not doing it. If they think they're so much better nowadays than they were in those days, they're fools. They're different bikes, different times. The Beast from the East, Damon Bradshaw. It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home, and once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't going to give 100%, I'm not going to take their money. The working class hero, Doug Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just thinking to myself, that's it, you know, and it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of the things that, you know, that I was going to miss. The daughter, Ron Machine. Until you really open your ears and you want to listen to what they're saying, it's like beating a dead horse. You know, and I know from personal experience, did anybody ever sit me down? Of course they did. Everybody did. Pro Circuits, Mitch Payton. There's two ways to make the money. One is you can sign for money, or two, you can earn the money. I'm a high believer in earning the money. I think they ride better when they earn the money. Seven-time Jeremy McGrath. I was so mad, like so disappointed and so frustrated that I pulled pit and I left. Every point counts. I could kick myself to this day for not just riding around in tents. Been no problem. My my ego got in the way, you know. The O Show, Johnny O'Mara. Stuff that you could you sit there, you didn't even want to ride it. You just wanted to just look at it all day. I mean, I got a chance to test all that. I like that era I was in. I really do. Search Pulp MX in the iTunes store to enjoy these and over 800 great motocross podcasts. As the days and the months and the years.